I'm already ready to be learned. You're ready to be learned? I All right, but yes. b- before we learn before I this learn is fucking you fucking weird. You're teaching me about superhero shit today. Yeah, I know. It's fucking strange. Which actually before we before we do that, I need you to enlighten me about something. What's, Happily. what's the weirdest, just goofiest fucking thing you've ever seen the Justice League do? Ooh. I guess I'll admit this right off the top. Um I've never been a huge fan of the Justice League. Holy shit. Yeah, I I oh tend to my God. prefer to read the individual superheroes. Okay. There's <laughs> there's also this entire middle chunk where only the goofiest fucking heroes were the super were the were the Justice League. Big, like like who? Um so remember in the 2000s we had the cartoon that was Justice League? Yeah. Yeah, like the, based on based on like all the Paul Dini stuff and everything, right? Kind of. Yeah. So for a while, the the mainstay heroes like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they weren't in the Justice League. That's bizarre. Yeah, it was actually um, Grant Morrison who brought them brought them all back together. <laughs> Man, for you Justice know, League. I have to I have to thank you. I did not have any Grant Morrison references to bring up here. <laughs> I, I was like, he they will absolutely show up in this because they wrote a really long run that, that inspired the show. The cartoon. Oh, oh, I did. I uh-huh. did not know yeah. that. Okay, see there, you've taught me something already. Grant yes. Morrison was, was the inspiration behind the successful Justice League yeah. cartoon in the two thousands. Okay. Prior to that, however, mm-hmm. the team consisted of a character like Elongated Man or Blue Beetle or or Booster okay, I'm, Gold. I, I'm aware. Okay, I'm aware of Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. I did not know they were actually members of the Justice League. They that, were the Justice League. That's silly. Yeah, that's really um, goddamn silly. So it's not. It's not necessarily silly what they did, but there is a moment where Guy Gardner, who was a Green Lantern, yes, known for his gorgeous red bowl cut and oh, yeah, smarmy yeah. attitude, was being such a prick that Batman cold cocks him. Good. And that's pretty much everyone's consensus on, <laughs> on the subject. Because um, Batman's like, I'm going to go be Batman, but I'm going to put you guys together kind of like here here's how you justice league and then throw you into the deep end okay have fun but before he does that he makes sure to cool cock guy gardner <laughs> have fun kids by the way <laughs> yep <laughs> pretty much don't be a dick wait way to go bruce uh, great a great a superhero parenting but i i mean individually i could tell you all kinds of stories but as a group i, I don't know <laughs> all right well you're gonna learn a pretty interesting story and dare say a fascinatingly goofy one hey everybody Welcome to Derazzled, the show where we take award-winning worst films and fix them, except for the days where we dip our toes into, I guess, what can be considered development hell. This is it's, this is a different take on development hell. I'll get into why in a little bit. Okay. My name's Joe Nealis, uh, and with me, as always, is also host Jack Culbertson. Uh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, if you have listened to our show before, if you like what you hear today, please go and review, rate the show everywhere you possibly can so we can get into more people's ears. We'd greatly appreciate that. Today, thanks to a recommendation from uh, fellow podcaster Raphael Moran of the Geeky Dad podcast, without him bringing this up, I would have no idea this existed. We're talking about a little movie called Justice League Mortal. 
We sure are. We sure are. The thing that I really love about this is this is a really nice kind of like spiritual sequel to our Superman Lives coverage. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because I mean, just just you know, chronologically, the way history works, like we we ended with we ended that yeah. kind of talking about Superman Returns for a minute, and that's kind of where we're going to be starting here today. Hmm. What do you remember about the actual reception of Superman Returns? Uh, it was fairly negative. Fairly, fairly negative. It wasn't it, like outright a bomb, but right. It, people don't really connect with it. There were definitely things that got praised. Like I know that I know that um, you know. Unfortunately, Kevin Spacey was hailed as just, you know, like the ideal Lex Luthor at the time. He, he was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I know. He wasn't great. None of it was great. Yeah. But, but you know, there, there were – he was – I like the condom suit personally. I did not mind the suit personally either. I actually even li- kind of liked Brandon Routh Superman to it. You know, he was but, fine. Yeah, he was fine. It, you couldn't get Christopher Reeves, which is what Brian Singer wanted. That would have been what he wanted, absolutely. Um uh, do you know what the stats on Superman Returns are? Oh, geez. No. You no. don't. Okay. Uh, take a guess at the tomato meter. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, 68. 74, actually. Oh, right. Yeah. So it wasn't as hated as you might expect. It's even certified fresh, actually, according to hmm. Rotten Tomato standards. Given it's 2023, and I don't know how much that has changed <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> right. with retroactive reviews or any kind of reappraisal that may have taken place, but there it is. Uh, what about the audience score? I'm going to say 73. 61. Ah, okay. Uh, how about IMDb? Mm, 6.4 out of oh, 10. so close. Damn. 6.1. Yeah, that may, that, yeah, that's about right. But that wasn't the only big superhero movie to come out around this time. So that came out in 2006, but the Clerks year- Clerks 2. Right, Clark's two, <laughs> classic superhero. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, uh, but the year the year before Superman Returns, we got Batman Begins. Oh yeah, the beginning of the Nolan verse, uh, and that shook off the uh, stale bad taste of the Schumacher Bat films. Uh, what do you think the stats on Batman Begins are? Um, I'm to be I'm going to give it, or I'm going to say like a eight point one. Out of 10? 8.2 IMDb, actually. Okay. So, yeah, very close. Uh, tomato meter, I'm going to go with 87? 84. Very close. Mm-hmm. Um, audience score. Audience score. Oh, God, it could go either way. I'm going to go a little lower. Uh, I think they went 78. 94. Really? Yeah. Okay. Which honestly, I'm not surprised. Like Batman Begins no, is such a fucking solid movie. Yeah, it and still has a little bit of the like cheesy tongue in cheek superhero shit. I kind of like that about it though. Um, like the way that's kind of integrated into that grittier, more grounded world is fascinating to me. Especially with like Killian Murphy's take on Scarecrow. Like it's just to ugh. me, it's it's like some of the dialogue shit. <laughs> some of the dialogue is not as good as future Nolan uh, Nolan verse films, sure, but. I think it's I think it's a solid foundation on which to yeah. build. And oh I yeah, mean, absolutely. History bore that out. So having this kind of response, even to one, even to a film that wasn't quite as satisfying as Superman Returns, had Warner Brothers, you know, entertaining the idea of a Justice League movie. Uh, as we as we know from our uh, Superman Lives coverage, they'd already been kind of kicking around Batman v, uh, versus Superman yeah. ideas in the background anyway before they 
you know, tried to throw all that money behind that weird, weird J.J. Abrams idea for a Superman series. Check out our previous episodes yeah. on Superman Lives. Yeah, listen to the Superman Lives series if you haven't already. That whole like, – we, we touch on what some of that was going to be, and my god, it's – ridiculous. Joe did his homework for that series. I did so much fucking homework for that series and I did more for this one. Well, not more not more than that one. You know yeah, what I mean. Right. So, we're just going to jump in here to how things got started. Uh so, so at the time the plans for like non-Batman films were nebulous at best. Uh, like there were inklings of maybe doing a sequel to Superman Returns. I think there was like mm-hmm. a plan to release one around 2009. Uh, and there were, like, rumblings of Flash and Wonder Woman, but, like, no real development news uh, until they decided, knowing what they knew about what was happening with these new movies, to just take a big swing. You know, there had okay. there was no MCU yet. There, they probably had some rumblings that Iron Man was in the works. I think Hulk had maybe released or had finished production or something. I forget exactly. But they decided to go forward and you know just jump right in and figure you know, why not why not try a Justice League movie? We'll try something fresh. We'll try something unique. So they went out and they found some screenwriters to try and t- uh, to try and wrangle this uh, this you know team up of all team ups. Uh, who do you think they got to write this script? It was a notable writer. They were known. They were especially at, uh, particularly at the time. They've done more work since then. They're not the best known screenwriters. Okay, because my my. Instant guess was going to be David Goyer, who was who had co-written the Nolan Batman's. That I think would have been great. Uh, it was He's very hit and miss. He can be. That's fair. Like extremely, like either fucking crushes it or fucking sucks. Yeah. Um. Uh, it was not Goyer though. Hmm. I uh, don't know. Uh, it was Kieran and Michelle Mulroney. Ah, uh, those two. Uh, at the time, they had Warner Brothers' attention because they rewrote the script for Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, the uh, okay. 2005 uh, Brad Erotica. Pitt, Angelina yeah. G- jo- uh, Jolie uh, accidental homewrecking slash uh, slash meet cute that they yeah, had great. with guns <laughs> that they that they had put together. Uh, it is credited as being a Simon Kinberg script, but they fixed right. it. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the Mulroneys here uh, rewrote that. And thus had Warner Brothers ears. So they were tapped to do this and they were eager to jump in and just get right to it. So they immediately started trying to find a director. The first person they had in mind was Jason Reitman. Uh, at the time, he was best known for Thank You for Smoking and Juno. That's such a weird pick. It's a weird pick at that point in time. And he turned it down right away, uh, lest his in- indie bona fides be sullied by a right. blockbuster. Uh as a reminder, uh, the sequel that he wrote to Ghostbusters Afterlife is in the works and coming out at the end of this year, yeah. and he did direct the first Ghostbusters Afterlife. So he's not exactly shy about doing blockbusters anymore. Nah, he did a bunch of indie stuff. He's he's good. He's got his credits fine. I really did like Thank You for Smoking. That's great. Yeah. I, I mean, I just love Aaron Eckhart. I it's wish one of my flu movies. Really? Remember the the winter of horrible flu where I watched oh, a bunch of movies? Oh, yeah. Thank You for Smoking was one of those. <laughs> it was one of them. I oh, did. shit. I didn't remember at all, but I remember liking it. It's very good. I've I, seen it since then. It's great. I, I need to rewatch it. It's been quite some time. Uh, so, naturally, Reitman didn't accept this particular job, so they went to their second choice, George Miller. You know, the guy who is known for Mad Max, and more recently at that po- particular point of time... <laughs> Happy Feet. 
<laughs> he sure was. You know, the Oscar-winning best animated feature uh, that is a jukebox musical featuring the voices of Elijah Wood, Robin Williams, Brittany Murphy, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, rapper Fat Joe, and Steve the Crocodile Hunter Irwin mm-hmm. as adorable dancing penguins and such. That cast is really sad now. It, I know. Yeah. Fuck. I completely <laughs> forgot that the fucking Crocodile Hunter was on in that movie. He was huge. I know. I loved him so much. Yeah, me too. Oh, God. So Miller was super excited to jump in and do something different, uh, doing something on this scale and with this and with this kind of toolbox that he's getting mm-hmm. from DC with these with these characters and this lore and whatnot. Would have been a lot of fun. Uh, Barry Osborne was brought on to produce. Uh, Merritt Allen was hired as a costume designer, but unfortunately she died in November of 2007. So Weta Workshop filled in for her. Remind me what a workshop. It sounds familiar. What a workshop is one of the most noteworthy visual effects studios outside of ILM. Uh, it's owned by Peter Jackson, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. And actually, I'm going to send you a link here that I want you to look at. Uh, this is courtesy of the Cancelled Movie Report podcast, which uh, was also one of my sources for Superman Lives. So they they are an Australian based podcast that tackles this kind of thing. And this is a a link that I'm sending Jack right now. I'll have it in the show notes as well to their blog that has a bunch of the concept art and costume tests. Okay. Yeah. You were, you were mentioning something about a drawing. Oh, you'll, you'll know exactly which one I'm talking about as soon as you see it. So you can see here, there's several, um, I'm not going to mention any specific cast just yet because we're about to get to that, but you can see very clearly a camera test for what was going to be their Wonder Woman. I like it. Uh, Yeah, I really like the look for Wonder Woman. Uh, She's like missing kind of like the eagle on her her bodice, but Mm -hmm. aside from that, looks excellent. It's really not that far off from what we ended up seeing in in the uh, Snyderverse with Gal Gadot. Uh, We've also got... Several different looks here at Batman, Superman, The Flash, yeah, we do. Aquaman, uh, Martian Manhunter, and Green Lantern. Ew. What, what was that? Ew. The the Batman mask looks limp, like a. Oh yeah, the one that's like, kind of just hanging there. Yeah, their their take on Batman is maybe the wildest thing about any of this costume design. There is literally chainmail built into parts of this. You can see it in the in that particular picture of the cowl that Jack just mentioned. Uh, there is also reference in interviews with with uh, with the actor who was going to play him that we'll mention that we'll bring right. up in a moment about there being like pistons and all sorts of other kind of nonsense and there being like a big collar up on it. It's like some of these I'm totally cool with and then other ones like what the... I do want to point out that the Superman one looks like it was taken from a spirit Halloween. It really does. It's really, really bad. Like it's it's so plain. It's just like it's fine. Plain and cheap. It looks cheap though. That's part of the problem. And given as we learned from Superman Lives and the and the uh, the Nick Cage pictures, this could just be like bad lighting. This could sure. be a but. But then again, it looks like it is a well lit white room. Yeah, where it, he is cognizant and posing. clear and crisp image, and it looks like they. So he doesn't have his red underpants. They did not do the underpants over the pants. However, no. it does look like he's wearing a diaper underneath. It kind of does. Yeah. I wonder if they were afraid of his penis. They might have been. Movies tend to be afraid of penises, and Just filmmakers silly. are cowards for that. <laughs> Just see our coverage of Caligula. 
<laughs> yep. Uh, there's also a uh, some of the like the mask that they're going to use for Martian Manhunter. It's terrifying. It's pretty horrific. Yes. Uh, you get a look at Aquaman. You get a again very plain kind of uh, concept art for Green Lantern. Uh, for Flash, there's yeah, there's a number of different things here. There's also some some concept art of a number of different scenes uh, in there. Feel free to take a look at that and peruse that. It's very interesting stuff. But like as I'm looking at this, I'm not currently gagging. Like I sure there's, there's some stuff I don't like, but there's I'm not. Some, there's some I'm, stuff that I think they kind of pulled punches on, but but overall, yeah, it's it looks fine. Yeah. I, I'm, I am kind of curious about what all like the pistons and weirdness is with uh, with Batman's suit. Like they yeah. really they really went out of their way to make Batman like way different from everyone else. I the the Batman costume is awful. Yeah, it's terrible. It, I I don't like it. I'm he not has a, a bunch of pouches and um, chainmail, <laughs> uh, and the like nose piece doesn't cover his whole nose. So that's silly. no. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it looks stupid. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, so reportedly, the budget for this movie was going to be around three hundred million dollars, and about eight months after the announcement they, of of the project, the casting started to really pick up. So now we're going to start talking about who was first considered for this and who ended up being cast in this film. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what uh, what these actors were best known for at the time. Okay, uh, they very clearly have gone on to do other things since then. Um, in one case, we'll talk about it, but I do want to point out up front, there was pretty much no attempt to retain either Brandon Routh or Christian Bale in their respective roles. They weren't even offered. Okay. Uh, some of the actors that were considered for various roles include Joseph Cross, who at the time was known for roles in Strangers with Candy and Running with Scissors. Uh, Michael mm. Engarano, who was in Almost Famous when he was younger, and then more recently to this time, Sky High. Uh, Max Terriot, who was in The Pacifier and Nancy Drew. Minka Kelly, who was in The Pumpkin Carver and The Kingdom. Adrienne Palicki from mm-hmm. the Friday Night Lights television series. Uh, Scott Porter from Music and Lyrics. Jessica Beale from Seventh Heaven and The Illusionist, and huh. Mary Elizabeth Winstead from Death Proof and Live Free or Die Hard. And coming up soon, the uh, really yeah. excellent, really cool Scott Pilgrim anime that they I'm announced. So I can't fucking wait. That That is an interesting collection of actors. You can tell already just from that list, especially when you look at Jessica Beale at the time. Mm-hmm. This is, again, 2007. They're going for a much younger cast for yes. this. The idea was that they wanted the they wanted the the actors to like age into these roles so they can reprise them for years across okay. ser- across movie after movie. Uh, so what they ended up going for uh, in, uh, instead of any of those people was DJ Katrona for Superman. Uh, he was known at the time for a movie called Venom, uh, not completely right. unrelated to any Marvel property, to my knowledge. Uh, it came out in 2005 and a TV series called Windfall. Nah. Army Hammer as Batman. Oh, who's he? Mm, who's he? Uh, well, at the time, he was best known for the movie Flicka. And single episode <laughs> appearances on Arrested Development, Veronica Mars, and Desperate Housewives. Man, glad he never went anywhere. I know, right? Obviously, at, at this point of time, we all know that Army Hammer was uh, accused of some sexual misconduct, uh, possibly leading into cannibalism, though he denies some of that. 
I was just wondering if this is the first time we've brought up cannibalism on our show. It might be, it which is, is weird, weird, considering you as a person and also me <laughs> yeah. as a person. <laughs> huh. Anyway. <It's> anyway. <laughs> yeah. As Wonder Woman, uh, the, we have uh, Australian supermodel Megan Gale, uh, who was also in the film Stealth. Uh, another Australian actress, Teresa Palmer, uh, known from The Grudge 2 and December Boys, uh, was going to play Talia al Ghul. Okay. Which honestly was a poll that I was not expecting. As you may have noticed from the concept art, our Green Lantern this time is Jon Stewart, mm-hmm. who was going to be played by rapper Common, also known at that time from huh. his role in Smoke and Aces, which is a fantastic action film if you have not seen that. I'm actually okay with that casting. Yeah, I actually really like that personally. It's mild spoiler, I wish they did more with him. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, this this one I found really interesting, too. Um, speaking of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, this actor who was uh, playing Barry Allen uh, slash The Flash uh, was in this movie as well as in The Land of Women and possibly best known for his role uh, as one of the main characters in The O.C., Adam Brody. Huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of dig yeah, actually, it. Yeah. I kind of dig that casting. Uh, he's he's fun. Uh, and right alongside him, we're actually getting two flashes for the price of one on this one. We're getting Barry and Wally? We're getting Wally, yeah. Uh. Wally West, played by Anton Yelchin. Oh, that's pretty good. Right? That's pretty good, I yeah. really, w- I wish we could have seen that. Like, uh, this is uh, not long after he had done Charlie Bartlett as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, this like, this is a good time for him to be, like, a young, like, kid Flash uh, moving on, we also had Santiago Cabrera, who is actually British. I, I, not, I was not familiar with anything that he was in, uh, with the exception of Heroes. He actually did make an appearance okay. in several episodes of Heroes. I forget his who. Uh, he was also in Love and Other Disasters, and in this he was going to be our Aquaman. Okay. Possibly the most Australian person on this entire cast, uh, Hugh Keys Byrne, who you may know from Mad Max. Do you know what role he played in Mad Max? I do not. He played Toe Cutter Joe. It's been a minute since I've watched. Are we talking about the original? I'm talking about the original Mad Max. Yeah, he he played Toe Cutter Mm. Joe in the original Mad Max. And then later on, circled back around and played Immortal Joe in Mad Max Fury Road. I, I know... I knew there was an actor that George Miller liked to continue to work with. It's Hugh Keys Burns. What yeah. the fuck was he going to play? Who was he going to was he gonna play? Martian Manhunter. Okay. He is both right. the most Australian and the oldest person on this cast yeah. by like a mile. Yeah, he was going to be the one in all the prosthesis right. for Martian Manhunter. Uh, and possibly the most interesting casting choice out of everyone here is the main villain of the film so the villain they chose for this was going to be Maxwell Lord. Lame. Who I learned appeared in Justice League number one. So I can see why they would go with that particular poll just for history's sake. The actor they chose was very interesting, though. At the time, he was known for his role on MTV's Undeclared and the Seth Rogen vehicle knocked up Jay Baruchel. What the Jay Baruchel was going to be the villain of this film. Are you sure? I s- <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he was super so fucking excited to he do would, it. He would uh, there's an interview that I listened to with him on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. 
where he is just gushing about what this movie was going to be. It's a very entertaining listen. Uh, also, just to listen to him talk about other things besides that. Uh, just a fun guy in general. Uh, there were also there were some additional or there were some additional uh, unconfirmed casting or like some some sure. names I had heard tossed around but not actually listed anywhere. Uh, Zoe Kazan was uh, allegedly going to be playing Iris West, who okay. I'm not sure if if that's I think it's Barry's wife. Barry's wife. Mm-hmm. Okay, she does play a prominent role in the story, uh, kinda. Uh, and Stephen Tobolowski was supposedly going to be playing Alfred Pennyworth. Okay. That would it would be weird to not have Alfred in there somewhere. Oh yeah, no, no, there has to be an Alfred. You have you have a Batman. There has to be an Alfred. That's just that's silly if there's not. Uh, most of the characters are going to be portrayed, or were supposed to be portrayed, about as you would expect them to be. Like as you can see from a lot of the concept art, very comic book faithful for the most part. Yeah. The difference is Batman, as we've mentioned, he he looks way different than everyone else. And Army Hammer particularly points out in the interviews that this version of Batman was meant to be psychotic. Paranoid and psychotic. Why'd they cast him then? I don't know. Hmm. It's an interesting, interesting question. <laughs> though, though it does raise an in, another question because again, they're going for a very young cast here. Army Hammer was nineteen years old in two thousand seven. Really? Yes. And already filthy rich. And already filthy rich. <laughs> uh, fuck my life. <laughs> for those who can't see the image, it's kind of like vaguely Punisher esque, mixed with. Way too much chainmail and a little bit of like a military vibe. It makes me wonder if they were going for like some kind of like low low key steampunk thing because like the mention of like pistons and valves and shit, yeah, it, like is very strange to me. Uh, and especially in light of like the chain, the very clear chainmail mm-hmm. aesthetic, and like there are parts of it look like they're spray painted. Honestly, it's, it's the most George Miller <laughs> outfit of all. Of Honestly, them. yeah, I could see, I, I could see this Batman popping up in the world of Mad Max. Oh, that'd be a hell of a crossover. I know, right? That actually would be kind of cool. Before we before we take a break, I do want to point out one thing about the film's tone, which uh, Adam, which uh, I got this from an interview with Adam Brody. He described the movie as being more like a Transformers movie than a superhero movie. Like like the Michael Bay Transformers movies? I I don't think he meant like a mo- like like any movie property of the Transformers. I think he meant more like just the idea of Transformers. The Though it's hard to, it's hard to robots gauge. In the, the robots disguise. in disguise. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Okay. I'm going to let you mull on that while we go to, while we go and take a quick break. I was more of a Beast Wars person myself. You're a Beast, you're a Beast Wars person? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. I was never really into either of them. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump into the story of this film. Because there were uh, completed drafts of the script. I have no idea where this, uh, where in the development process this particular version was. There's plenty of reason to be confused about that, which we'll touch on later. This version I got from the uh, Cancelled Movie Report podcast. Uh, this was going to be, I think, their pilot episode, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm I'm not going to cover the story quite as in-depth as they do. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to highlight a number of the more noteworthy parts of the story. Uh, you're still going to get like the linear sense of how it was going to play out. But you, you'll see I'm taking some liberties okay. here and there. Uh, if you want a more thorough examination of this of this story, go listen to the Cancelled Movie Reports two-parter on it. 
they did a fantastic job. There's even some like voice acted like, uh, like audio drama versions oh, nice. of the script uh, mixed in there as well, uh, where they were also faithful to the actors' uh, nationalities. Like anyone who was Australian is Australian. Anyone who was nice. British is British. So on and so forth. Uh, so this script was largely based off of the Justice League uh, Tower of Babel arc written okay. by Mark Wade and Howard Porter, mm-hmm. which I believe was an early 2000s uh, Justice League story, if I'm not mistaken. It's right in the middle of Morrison's run. Right in the middle of Morrison's run. Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. We open up with the Justice League minus Batman attending somebody's funeral in all black versions of their costumes. Gee, I wonder who could be in that casket. I was just thinking, who's the tailor who had to make all these fucking black versions of their costumes? Oh, Alfred, clearly. It was Alfred. It had to be Alfred. Yeah. Uh, unless unless there's like, you know, do they ever cover that in the DC universe? Like, is there like a superhero God, tailor sure like they... in the Venture Brothers? There's definitely one in the Marvel universe. I think there's several in the Marvel universe. I mean, there has to be, right? Like, I would imagine so. So but they all have such stylish suits. They all have very particular needs. I think. At least for Superman, his mom did it. He would have his mom so... That's adorable. Yeah. Oh, Martha. Martha can't. Oh. Two days earlier, the world is at peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Batman monitors the rest of the Justice League through his Brother Eye Satellite Network. It's a dumb name for a satellite. Comic the system, book accurate. I know. I am, I am aware of that. You'll, you'll notice a lot of this is comic book accurate. Okay. Uh, the system through which he spies on demigods and catalogs their weaknesses, just in case they get all evil or whatever. As Alfred pulls Batman away for Bruce Wayne's surprise birthday party, someone hacks into Brother Eye and pinpoints Martian Manhunter's location. A series of bizarre events attract the various members of the Justice League to handle crime after crime. Things come to a head when a strange seahorse sets fire to Martian Manhunter, who is luckily saved by Wonder Woman and the Flash. Fucking horses, man. Yeah, fucking seahorses <laughs> sea this time. Even they, They're just taking over every inch of the, of the earth. Uh, the latter here, the Flash, had had been having a nice lunch at uh, with his wife at Planet Krypton, where he casually drooled over Wonder Woman in front of his wife. Mm, Barry wouldn't do that. Sorry, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Not entirely comic book accurate. Concerned, Superman goes to Atlantis to get Aquaman to come to the surface and try to help them figure out, what the fuck's with this seahorse, man? Uh, Aquaman refuses at first because apparently in his efforts to protect the surface dwellers from peril, uh, he had lost his hand and has now been uh, replaced with a prosthetic water hand. Yeah. But when Superman mentions Wonder Woman wants him to come up, Aquaman relents. Everyone's thirsty for woman. Apparently, woman. Okay. yeah. Everyone's hot for Wonder Woman in this movie. It's weird. It's a little strange. Uh, then when he comes up to the surface, he gets bit by a robot mosquito that somehow makes him afraid of water, causing him to toss away his water hand. The water hand then somehow ends up covering Martian Manhunter, which at least protects him from the weird seahorse fire. He got rabies. It is a symptom of rabies. Thank you. That was my that was my immediate <laughs> thought. Was like, wait, he just got fucking rabies from a mosquito? No, oh. there's a different there's a different reason okay. for that this happens. I think. Um, though I like mine better. Yeah, I also like that better. It's like he was suddenly came down with rabies. Uh, Green Lantern is an architect for his day job and accidentally swallows a foreign object that was stuck to the end of his pencil, which he jammed into his mouth as you're wont to do. He goes blind, causing the construct he was using to model a project he was working on to just go haywire and wreck shit. Okay. 
the Green Lantern's intro, everybody. Batman misses all of this because Bruce Wayne had to throw a party. Maxwell Lord is in attendance and says some cryptic shit about how his Planet Krypton restaurants have served millions in Gotham alone, punctuated by his business partner Talia al Ghul's appearance. But before Bruce can do anything about this, Alfred informs him of the Martian Manhunter situation. On his way to investigate, he's accosted by bikers who turn into strange robotic entities that are remnants of the defunct OMAC project. When Batman tries to access his brother Eye's surveillance network, he finds he has been locked out and has lost control. Uh, I think I may have gotten a detail slightly wrong there. I don't know if he was actually on his way to uh, to um, investigate the Martian Manhunter thing. Mm-hmm. I think he did. He does run into a bunch of bikers who are like accosting some cops, and then he goes and does a billionaire thing and saves the cops. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and one of, and one of the bikers turns into an OMAC, which I don't know what the fuck OMAC means. Uh, I I tried to look it up. And uh, I got like three different definitions. It's, it's a Kirby uh, creation. I'm not surprised. Uh, it's it's either it's either omni mind and community, observational metahuman activity construct, or one man army corps. I think it was originally one man army corps, uh, and then because that's silly, they changed it. It, it is silly. <laughs> uh, to be fair, it's all silly. They're yeah. all fucking silly <laughs> yeah. things for this this initialism. Okay, the League minus Batman retreat to the Fortress of Solitude to figure shit out, at least until Batman does show up and when questioned how he knew how they were how they were there, is forced to explain that he's been surveilling all of them, uh, but that he's lost control of the system. Uh, almost immediately, Barry gets a phone call from his wife, which somehow causes a nanobot to be implanted on him. Like, it pops out of the phone and ends up on him and, like, implants itself in him, uh, mm. causing him to vibrate at such a high and strange frequency that he starts repeatedly vibrating through the entire planet from one side to the other, just back hmm. and forth and back and forth. That's rough. I think he has to get lassoed by Wonder Woman, which I'm sure he's just thrilled with. Given the origins of Wonder Woman, it makes sense. Yeah, fair. After a prolonged series of scenes where these bizarre maladies are addressed, including Martian Manhunter, I'm going to have to walk you through this. This is probably the most ridiculous thing that happens in the entire goddamn movie, uh, including Martian Manhunter telepathically guiding a blind Green Lantern through surgery to remove the nano thing from the Flash and to fix whatever is up with Aquaman. Uh, and then somehow removes the water hand from Martian Manhunter, which somehow fixes Green Lantern's vision. It's just like this cascading chain reaction of good of just fixing problems. Fix, fixing the B plots. Okay. Yeah, basically. So after all of that, uh, Batman, in trying to uh, get back into the uh, the Brother Eye system, learns that his weakness is love, and has a flashback where he realizes that the last time Talia kissed him. Uh, she caused him to swallow a tracking device in keeping with the Guild of Calamitous Intent villainous dating standards. <laughs> it's very comic booky. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very silly. A, and they pointed this out on the canceled movie review podcast. How did he not just pass it? How did he not shit that out? Huh, yeah. And and B, how is he? Not, he's Batman. He's Maybe if he's that, chewing gum. He got stuck in his colon. Oh, he yeah. stays there for seven years. Right. Like they say in the comic books. <laughs> But also, like, if he's that fucking paranoid, why isn't he, like, scanning his body for, like, tracking right. devices and shit? Yeah, he probably is. He probably is. So either this is some real high-tech shit that's undetectable, or this Batman's an idiot. Or it's made out of meat. So oh. when he scans himself. Oh, man, it's, it's a meat, it's a it's meat a, tracker. Right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we could be super villains. We <laughs> We've watched enough Venture Brothers. <laughs> we know how it works. We is understand it, the business. What are those... 
like hors d'oeuvres that are wrapped in bacon. Pigs in a blanket? Yeah, we could do that with like a tracker, put bacon around it. Or bacon wrapped scallops. Mm. Yeah, those are both good. Just put the tracker wrapped in bacon. Yeah, you could wrap small. it in bacon. Although I feel like Batman uh, might notice if he's being tongue past a piece of bacon. <laughs> What if that's his thing? It could be what if what if yeah, what if he just really likes that? Like he just yeah. like he just watch Thanks. watches <laughs> I was feeling hungry. Can you tie the knot first? <laughs> oh god. Just imagine that's the mechanics of trying to tie a, a slice of bacon into a knot with your tongue. Comic book accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> anyway. During a weird scene where Barry eats a shit ton of food and mansplains why people sexually objectify Wonder Woman to Wonder Woman, Wally pops up and uses his newfangled iPhone to do some rapid research based on what they know uh, and comes across information linking Maxwell Lord to the OMAC project and also teeing up all of his telepathic abilities. This movie's extremely exposition heavy and extremely yeah. con- and extremely based on convenience for the characters at, at particular moments. Wonder Woman goes to confront Lord, who reveals his evil plan to turn everyone into Omax by lacing the burgers at his Planet Krypton restaurant chain with nanotech. Wrapping it in meat. Wrapping it in meat. That's so you, yeah. You called it. You called it. You, ca- you called it right there. You, you, you saw through the whole facade. Talia was just testing out the meat wrapping techniques right. in, on Batman. Right. Uh, but unfortunately for her, Superman happens to get a little bit too close in, uh, in proximity, allowing Lord the opportunity to take over his mind and sick him on Wonder Woman. So you know how when Maxwell Lord uses his powers, he gets a nosebleed? Sure. Jay Baruchel had a suggestion for this particular moment that I kind of wish we had gotten to see. So in, because... Because he's taking over a Kryptonian mind, it's extremely fucking difficult. Mm-hmm. So instead of just bleeding from his nose, Baruchel went to Miller and said, I want to bleed out of every orifice of my head. Okay. I mean, and Miller loves him. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's extremely gruesome. But I think it, it, it fits the, the severity of yeah. that particular moment, right? D- did they not do it? The movie, I mean, I the guess movie, the movie didn't come out, Jack. You even watched it? No. <laughs> You know, in all my research, I did fuck up and not watch the film that didn't get made. That's where you went wrong. That's where I went wrong. I made a huge mistake. Batman appears and fails to distract Superman, but after throwing Wonder Woman into a river, he gets effectively distracted by Aquaman, who is waiting with an army of sea creatures, allowing Wonder Woman to escape back to Lord and lasso him. He reveals that the only way to free Superman of his control is to kill him. Uh, She lifts her lasso to his throat... But before she can decide to finish the job, Batman drops down from the rafters, out of the shadows, and snaps Maxwell Lord's neck. Batman, oh. Batman okay. done did a murder. Lord happened to also have Talia al Ghul there held captive and hooked up to a computer for reasons, allowing him to transfer his consciousness into her at the moment of his death. Talia Lord then triggers the next phase of their plan, turning the millions upon millions of Planet Krypton customers into Omax. Batman tries to save her, but she dies, causing Lord's consciousness to seek another host. At this point, the rest of the Justice League has rejoined them for this big final battle against a, against a ton of newly created Omax uh, monster machines. Uh, and Lord's consciousness somehow ends up landing in Barry Allen, turning him into an alpha Omac. But 
not completely eliminating his consciousness. Okay. You had a thought? It's it's dumb. That's the thought I had. <laughs> Fair enough. Barry realizes that he can use the speed force to run fast enough to create a cosmic light wall that he can run headlong into, sacrificing himself to kill Lord faster than he can react. Despite despite spending like half of this movie drooling over Wonder Woman, he takes a quick detour in the middle of this running around to see his wife one last time and say goodbye. Even though she can't see him or hear him, and it kind of makes things creepy, especially with all the Wonder Woman drooling that took mm. place earlier. Just, it feels a little disingenuous, but... Why didn't they just have Wally be the horny teenager? If Wally's there... I mean, it would have been a little... I mean, it would have been weird, but it would have been... It would have at well, least been like... Oh, yeah, he's non-adulterous. He's he's pretty young at that point. He's pretty young. He? He's pretty young at that okay. point. Though he also does get a little bit drooly over Wonder Woman at a moment, uh, like before he does all the like the iPhone research thing, or yeah. ta- or tells him about his iPhone research. Um, whatever. <laughs> so as it turns out, it's Barry in that casket, uh, and Batman is actually just kind of standing alone near an outcropping of trees, just kind of like smirking. He's like, he's just like kind of too cool to be there with everyone else at the funeral. <laughs> That tracks for Batman. Yeah. After the funeral, the heroes vote to work together, including Wally. Batman tries to say that he doesn't belong because he's just a guy and doesn't have fancy powers, but Soups pats him on the back and tells him to shut his goth ass up and get with the program. All is well for like five seconds before Wally notices some strange readings coming from a console. Turns out it's a monitor it's a monitoring readings from outer space, and there's a massive starfish creature careening oh, toward no. Earth. Our intrepid heroes prepare to defend the planet in space. <laughs> And we did finally get that villain. Yeah, we yeah they they believe it or not in fucking two thousand seven or two thousand eight they were gonna tease Starro for a Justice League <laughs> sequel, and we didn't end up seeing him until Suicide Squad, which I saw a lot of people bitch about, but I loved it. I thought it was great. Like, shut. It's, why? Why is anyone mad about that? Did they watch the rest of the movie? It's perfect for the time. It's perfect for yeah. Good lord. Like, tonally, it's great. Visually, it's impressive. They do a lot of cool shit with it. it um, what's not to like? Remind me what year they were working on this. So, uh, the they began everything in 2007. Okay. Because uh, the part where... It, it does very much sound like it was based on Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Um, Babel, Babel, whatever. Which... Man, I've been meaning to read that one for so long, so I'm kind of pissed that I, I haven't. Ah. It's it's pretty well-loved story. However, there is a comic where Wonder Woman snaps Max Lord's neck. Oh, she does kill yeah. him in the books. Yeah. Interesting. Remember when I was telling you that the the big three took like a vacay? Yeah. Is that why? I think that's why she's like. She was kind of coping with the minute, coping to, with the fact yeah. that she actually killed a dude. Yeah, she snaps his neck. Hmm. Yeah, the way this plays out in this one is like she. It seems like she's about to, but then she kind of lets the rope go lo- go limp, and she's kind of looks away, like she just can't bring herself to do it. And he's kind of taunting her about it the whole time as well. Like he knows she won't do it. But then Batman, you know, the guy with a no with a fucking no kill code or whatever, <laughs> leaps out of the shadows and does it himself. The movies are so bad at that. It's weird, right? Because like we see Ben Affleck's Batman also just straight up murder a guy, right. no, at least one or two guys. Single shit. No, not at has, all. Rob Pat hasn't killed anybody yet, right? No, no, he definitely didn't. They were careful about that in uh, okay. in in the Batman, I think. Uh, so I just 
sent you a link to the image of Wonder Woman killing Maxi Lord. Max Lord. I am pulling that up now. There's there's a Batman villain called. Oh man! Yeah, she kills him real good. Oh god damn it! So my browser decided to do one of those things where it like it suddenly takes me away to like uh, hey you've won an oh, Apple no. iPhone whatever like noise yeah it's a I saw the image that's the important yeah, thing yeah um there's a Batman villain called Maxi Zeus so... oh I'm aware okay yeah I I know Maxi Zeus so my brain tries. Keep trying to combine them. They're both dickheads. <laughs> Zeusy Lord. Zeusy Lord. Lordy Zeus. I like that the best. Yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, well. I mean, I don't know that I hate that more than what we got. I mean, that's a fair question, right? Like, like is this worse than what we got from Zack Snyder slash Joss Whedon? I hate what they did with Batman. Yes. Not not him being a dickhead who spies on his teammates. That's 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 par for the course. We right. all know we all know the, the 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 maxim that Batman has a contingency for everything, including himself and everyone and everyone right. else in the Justice League. Like we know. Yeah, it's it's almost obnoxious at this point how often they bring it up. One of the things that I didn't bring up in this uh, in this uh, series of scenes was uh, when he reveals that he has been spying on everybody and that he's lost control of the thing. One of the one of the questions he gets repeatedly asked is, "Well, where is it? Why can't you just turn it off?" And it's just him saying, "I don't know," over and over and over again because he's because he he hid it even from himself. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's the most the cheesiest Batman-ass answer to that question. Well, that is certainly a script. It sure was. However, as we as we well know, this movie did not get made. And there are, there are several reasons for that. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. I'm the Geeky Dad. And we're the Multiverse Kids. And sometimes we review movies. Shows. Or books. But all the time, we have fun. Join us every week and um, listen to our show. And sometimes we might even have a special guest. So join us at the Geeky Dad Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So if you're just tuning in, that's weird. But we just went, finished going through the entire story of how uh, Justice League Mortal was going to go down from beginning to end. But like we said, this movie didn't actually come out. But it's not the same as every like development hell that we've gone through. Like so many of the of what we of the films that we would consider being in actual development hell, like they they get delayed over and over yeah. and over again. Like they they these are cycles that last years, if not decades, in some cases. This all this all fell apart within like a calendar year, pretty much. Hmm. Can you guess why? Uh, writer strike. That is a big part of it. Is it a hundred percent? Yep. Yeah. In fact, there like there two thousand eight. There are there are two big reasons and one. Maybe specious, but sub we'll call it a sub reason uh, that that this movie fell apart. And the first big one is first and foremost the two thousand seven two thousand eight writer strike. My uh, second guess is Spider Infestation. It was being filmed it, in Australia. right? It was being filmed in Australia, but yeah. we'll 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 get to that. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I wish you wouldn't. So we've never really talked in depth about the writer strike itself on here. So I wanted to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Partially because it's relevant and partially because 
you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm planting a seed for something I want to talk about in season three. Who knows? God you don't. You don't know. Maybe I don't know. That we'll Raider see. strike was abysmal. But please, it was rough. Please go on. It was rough. We got some cool shit out of it. Like, Where? Uh, I mean, it, there would be no Doctor Horrible sing along blog without it. Oh yeah, that was fun. Uh, and the entirety of everything that Conan O'Brien did during that time. Oh yeah, no, that's okay. That we was, got those two things. Yeah, we got those two <laughs> things. I'll, I'll take those two things. Uh, but negotiations between the Writers Guild of America, or WGA, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, I hate that initialism so goddamn much, uh, fell through shortly after their contract expired on Halloween of 2007. Okay. The th- <laughs> Sorry. So the three chief issues that the WG mem- WGA members wanted addressed and changed were, one, an increase in share of DVD residuals. Writers at that point had been getting 0.3% of the first million dollars of gross sales on DVDs, hmm. uh, and 0.36% after that first million. They wanted this raised to 0.6%. These are old-ass figures that yeah. were carried over from the days of VHS, because that was the initial agreement on VHS tape residuals. However, at that point of time, VHS tapes were, were priced between $40 and $100, yeah. so they were getting a pretty decent chunk of change out of that. Huh. Not so much after all after all that time, because VHS has got relatively cheap, and DVDs never started off that expensive, to my knowledge. Unless you're looking for Nuki on VHS, which I definitely don't do every God single day. fucking damn it. <laughs> and what's that going for, Jake? Um, I'm currently watching two that are hovering around 70. I'm so mad. <laughs> there is a unopened, unused uh, rental-specific version that's about 2,000. 2,000?! Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Listen to our Mac and Me episode to hear about Nuki and VHS pricing. Joe Holy agreed cow. that if I ever find that on if, VHS, if I, we'll do an episode yep, on it. Yep. I, I Lucky said, for him, I'm poor. I, oh, thank fuck. <laughs> this is the one time I've ever been happy about that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so it seems like a no-brainer that you would want this to be in, to be increased. Yeah. Uh Obviously, the AMPTP wanted to keep it the same because, in their eyes, that's all resources that go toward other things. You know, not like there's a ton of fucking money in the movie industry going around. They didn't have a little bit more they could possibly spare for their writers. But in a truly, in my eyes, bizarre move, uh, some of the WGA leadership attempted to jettison this provision in a last-ditch effort to avoid the strike, which actively pissed off a lot of the membership. And unfortunately, I'm pretty sure they did end up just ignoring this provision uh, by the end of the strike. The second big item, and possibly the biggest item, was residuals for new media, specifically streaming, on-demand, internet programming, downloads, smartphone programming, all that jazz. Uh, There was absolutely nothing governing this uh, in 2007, and the vast majority of writers saw the writing on the wall that Mm -hmm. streaming was going to eventually supplant physical media as the main way that people consume media. That was um, shortly after Netflix kind of became a thing, right? Netflix was a thing, but it was mostly still a mail-order DVD Mm -hmm. service at that point. Yeah, wrap your head around that 
Gen Z. Yeah, if you can remember that part. I had one of those subscriptions. Yeah. Like when I was in college, I would get DVDs mailed to me occasionally. Uh, and once or twice, they were they were just paper inside the DVD yeah, shell. Was, and I was, was so fun. mad. <laughs> I hated when that happened. Ugh, fucking thieves. <laughs> I also had that happen with Red Boxes a couple of times. Just See, I never had that happen with Red Box, I, but I also hated Red Box. I, I didn't like Redbox, but I used it a lot hmm. for like a while anyway. Sure. Then, then I forgot to return my copy of Get Out, so now I just have that. <laughs> Belinda has a couple of Redbox DVDs. There, the <laughs> they they charge you like 50, most random. Yeah, they charge you like fifty bucks if you forget. Yeah, if you forget that, but it's pretty expensive. But you keep it at that point. I keep charging you for it. I guess. Yeah, I did. I'd like to get a better copy of Get Out, though. Anyway. <laughs> So writers wanted to get something in line with what the Directors Guild of America had gotten uh, for streaming for streaming and new media, which was 1.2% of distributors' gross receipts for rentals and between 065 and 0.7% of general gross receipts for downloads. Uh, and then for streaming, it was going to be 2% of gross receipts after the initial 17 days. Hmm. I don't know enough about, like, the finance to like explain how any of that works or how any of that's a significant amount. Just trust me that it's it's what they wanted. It's better than what they had, which at this point was nothing. So again, this was largely seen as the biggest issue uh that writers wanted to have taken have that wanted to have addressed in, in the course of this strike. Uh Howard Gould uh, on the importance of this issue said soon when computers and your TV are connected, that's how we're all going to watch. Okay. Those residuals are going to go from what, th- from what they are towards zero. If we don't make a stand now, this is such a big issue that if they see us roll over on this without making a stand three years from now, they're going to be back for something else. I might've been the most moderate one up here when we started, but I sat there in that, in that room the first day and they read us those 32 pages of rollbacks. And what they wanted us to hear was if you don't give us what we want on the, on the important thing, we're going to come after you on, for all those other things. But what I heard was if we give them that thing, they'll still come after us for, uh, for those other things. And in three years, it'll be, we want to revamp the whole residual system. And in another three years, it'll be, you know what? We don't really want to fund the health fund the way we we have been. And and then it'll be pension. And then it'll be credit determination. And there just is that time when everybody has to see this is one where we just got to stand our ground. Huh. Unions. Unions, right? It's amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty helpful. Everyone should have one. I wish I had a union. We could really use one right now. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so they did stand firm on this, like getting some mm-hmm. kind of residuals and some kind of guaranteed representation in writers' rooms for uh, for streamed programming was a non-negotiable point. Like they, that had to be addressed. I mean, he called it. He did call. He a hundred. Yeah, Gould a hundred percent called it. And as he said, he was one of the more moderate members of the WGA. Mm-hmm. He was skeptical for a good while that, uh, that that this was going to be a big deal. And then even he was like, no, you know what? I was wrong about that. I was wrong. I, I was wrong to be moderate on this particular issue. We need to stand our ground on this. And he's right. The third thing they wanted was jurisdiction and in reality and animation. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they wanted to get recognition for the work that writers still had to do to punch up unscripted reality TV shows. Uh, the WGA asserted that the process of creating interesting scenarios, calling raw material, and shaping it into a narrative with conflict, character arc, and storyline constitutes writing, and that it should fall under its contract. Which, 
Are you writing? Fair. Then yes. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that that's a fair thing to ask for, because we all know reality TV is not actually reality. Mm. It's stupid to assert that it actually is. Somebody is crafting that, whether it's in pre-production, post-production, or mid-production. Yeah. Who fucking knows? And again, all, this is also an attempt to get WGA representation in animated features. The vast majority of them were not huh. uh, WGA represented. In fact, animation had, has long been the jurisdiction of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, uh, specifically Local 839, a.k.a. the Animation Guild. I did not know that. Yes. Um, that's uh, you'll see, Actually, the past couple of years, there's been a whole lot of uh, of talk on social media about trying to get animators and animation writers a fair contract mm-hmm. uh and a lot of that was in it was uh, in support of IATSE because animators tend to get the short end of the stick a lot of the time yeah especially in the streaming age as we keep seeing Netflix in particular and and Warner Brothers Discovery as of late uh just throwing animation right down the drain God, I didn't even think about that I didn't realize they weren't a part of the Writers Guild. No. So they don't have the same kind of like union to back them mm-hmm. as they're being screwed. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah, because like, like, they do have IATSE yeah. to back them, but apparently that doesn't get you far enough. Uh, or you know, or maybe there's something else that I'm missing there. Again, I did not look right. into that particular angle. Uh, the WGA asserted that the vast majority of animated features are written by at least one WGA member. And outside of features, at this particular time, the only real shows, that the only cartoon shows that were active at the time that this would have impacted would have been uh, The Simpsons, Family Guy, American Dad, and King of the Hill. All the big Fox shows at that point. Huh. And ultimately, this issue was also dropped. They did not end up getting uh, what they wanted from, uh, from the uh, AMTP, uh, PTP out of the strike. So... After after the official vote, the strike went to, went into effect at 12:01 a.m. on November 5th, 2007. According to Army Hammer, uh, the last two hours before the strike were just Miller, the available cast of Justice League Mortal, and the writers just sitting down together yeah. and throwing every idea they had at the wall and just writing it all down because they knew as soon as that clock hit, yeah. they couldn't fucking touch it. They couldn't do anything else. So they they went, they, they did a, this ridiculous sprint and ended up with like a 200-page script. Oh, because anything that's written down, they can use. Anything that's written down, they could use. Yeah, because remember, there was still some stuff that went through production. There were still things that were being made. Mm-hmm. Just you couldn't write anything. Yeah. You know, or if you were standing in solidarity with the Writers Guild, you, right. you shut down your productions. But in this case, they wanted to, they wanted to try and soldier forth. They wanted they were already having a hard enough time filming this in Australia, which I'll touch on more shortly. Spiders, spiders, it's just fucking everywhere, and they're huge. Also, the tornadoes catch fire. It's a terrible place. Anyway, uh, despite the various signs of progress, the strike was not resolved until February twelfth, two thousand eight, when ninety two point five percent of WGA members voted to end it. Uh, and then on February 26th, 93.6% of WGA members voted to approve a new three-year contract with uh, that included around 3.5% of increased compensation. So they mm-hmm. did get okay. something. Yeah. And especially they got the streaming uh, stuff that they wanted. Because without this happening, 
we wouldn't have the uh, the guild associated writers crafting just fantastic content across yeah. so many different streaming platforms. Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, if it just it, the, the like the boom of Netflix original series that we've enjoyed through like the late aughts and and, and the twenty tens wouldn't look anything like this. I've seen web series in the early days. They were garbage. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Sometimes fun garbage. But garbage. Sometimes fun garbage. There was some fun trash out there. And you know, sometimes you like to roll around in some fun trash. That's fine. Right. There's no there's no judgment for rolling around in trash like a raccoon. I, they look like they're having fun. And I yeah, wanna, they're I having a good time. And they get to eat a little bit. They get some snacks. Yeah. What was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I think after all that union talk, we need to have a moment of dumb. Yeah, I, need, yeah. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I needed to reset my brain with some stupid. Do you Did you watch any of the movies? That, I'm, I'm sure you've watched some of the movies that came out during the strike. but Oh, God, I'm sure I have. I can't pinpoint them in my brain currently. Uh, the two that come to mind are the first Wolverine movie. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. That yeah, got I saw that. And oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Quantum of Solace, which I think... I'm a bit of an apologist I, for. I don't think it's as bad as people say it is. I have not seen Quantum of Solace yet. It's a downer. But... I'm fine with it being a downer. That's uh, If I'm not mistaken, aren't most of the Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond's downers? Uh, more or less, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. But Make me sad, Daniel. <laughs> that, that one I don't think is as bad as people. It, I think it just... It followed Casino Royale, which people really, 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 really Casino liked. Royale was excellent. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's a really interesting era of film. Yeah. Because uh, there are moments, that, you know, they had already written. We're like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, this is a cool moment in this film. Why is it garbage all around this moment? Oh, there was a writer's strike. Yeah. That'd be interesting to look into. Like, more yeah. films that were, like, directly impacted yeah. or changed because that, that of that be strike. Fun topic. Might, to be, a thing, might yeah. be a thing to look into. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll take a look at season three. We'll, we'll see what room we have. Yeah, we don't have the entire season already. Yeah, no. Who, why three. would we have that already planned? <laughs> 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 uh, so this next problem, I'm going to, I, I, I like to call this, how many Australians is enough Australians? <laughs> I don't know. Are you, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so. Miller, being an Australian filmmaker, really wanted Mortal to be filmed in Australia, and the production was slated to begin at Fox Studios Australia in Sydney. He wanted to do this for a number of reasons, particularly because there were a ton of visual effects jobs that were lost after Happy Feet, because there wasn't another production lined up afterward for them to continue on to. Hmm. Uh, so the plan for this really was for uh, was for these folks to do Justice League Mortal and then stick around and work on Happy Feet 2. Okay, yeah. While four of the major actors, uh, three of the main cast, as we went over in the uh, in the um, in the in the beginning of this episode, uh, and the majority, if not entirety, of the production crew were Australian, uh, the Screen Producers Association of Australia, a did not consider the production to be Australian enough, and b thought that the project was irresponsibly expensive. So one of the reasons they wanted to film in Australia, aside aside from bringing jobs to Australia mm-hmm. and M- Miller himself being Australian, was that there was a forty percent tax rebate for films filming in, uh, who film the majority of their work in Australia okay. and meet a certain threshold of Australians on on the crew and whatnot. 
Miller thought that they had matched those things, but there were uh, there were some producers who were proposing limiting the forty percent tax rebate to projects with budgets of thirty million dollars or lower. That's a tenth of the budget right. of this particular film. Uh, this would have been an absolute deal breaker since the conversion rate between U- uh, U.S. dollars and Australian dollars at this point had changed significantly. Uh, so during the uh, the time of Happy Feet, if I'm not mistaken, it was about sixty cents uh, U.S. to one dollar Australian. Uh, and at the at the time of this project, it was ninety seven cents U.S. to one dollar Australian. The exchange rate was almost negligibly equal. Right. Uh, so their American dollars were not going to go nearly as far. Yeah. Miller thought this was absolute madness and would only cause the Australian film industry to stagnate. Quote. Any form of capping basically means the Australian film industry is going to be restricted to what it's been for almost two decades, a cottage industry making films that, very sadly, Australian audiences seem reluctant to see, with some wonderful exceptions, let alone films that get any exposure overseas. Hmm. The rebate is not a windfall. It's not, a wel- it's not welfare. It's not a handout. It's trying to seduce investment into the country, which has a multiplier effect through the economy over two to three years, taxed at every level. And only at the end of that is there a rebate. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it seems like a reasonable thing to do, especially considering what that would mean for the Australian film industry. It means, in this case, multiple gigantic high-profile projects that would have the acclaim of one of the best-known directors on the face of the planet and already – Oscar buzz because the 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 prequel of one of those films was already an Oscar winner, and uh, lest we forget that he directed Babe. Also, I thought he produced Babe. I thought he directed Babe and produced Babe Pig in the Big City. That might be it. <laughs> Stupid sentence I just said. Yeah, it is, but it's all real. <laughs> so the the Australian government assembled a board of individuals that Miller believed knew nothing about the film industry to vote on this rebate measure. Sure enough, the vote did not turn out favorably for the production, and Warner Brothers began eyeing Vancouver as an alternate filming site. In the end, the production seems to have been shut down for good before anyone got the chance to film a goddamn thing, not even really surviving until the end of the, of the, of the writer's strike. According to Jay Baruchel, the call went out January 7th, 2008. He says that he was in Sydney at the time with some of the cast, but that very sadly, DJ Catrona had actually been in LA still and didn't get the call until the exact moment his ride was picking him up from his hotel to take him to the airport to come to Sydney. So he's literally standing there and a car rolls up and and he's like on the phone and the guy says, hey, I'm here to pick you up. He goes, no, you're not, man. I'm not going anywhere. It's like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I am here for you. He goes, no, I look, I just got the call. My heart's broken. I can't do this. And they went back into his apartment. And just, you know, that was that. They made Superman cry. Uh, I actually got those things reversed. Um, I want to say he did produce Babe. He directed Babe, Big in the Big City. Really? <laughs> yeah, sure huh. did. Interesting. That's wonder if there are any Easter eggs of that in Mad Max Fury Road. If you listen really, really intently, you can hear a pig squealing in the background. That's not just Australia? <laughs> That's just the ambiance of Australia. Uh, 5.9 out of 10, babe, pig in the big city. Okay. Not bad. It's bad. It's, for IMDb, yeah, that's pretty yeah. bad. 
they so they so consistently rate things at like six point nine right. or, <laughs> yeah. or like seven point four or whatever. It's I don't know what's happening on that website. So the very last thing, which again I said is kind of a sub reason that this that this fell through. Uh, I'd like to call this section "Who's Afraid of the Big Black Bat." Okay, fine. so so Collider cites that the success of the Dark Knight was one of the factors that officially buried Justice League Mortal. Hmm. The thing that throws me about that is that uh, you know the production for this ended at the beginning of the year, and the Dark Knight didn't come out until July eighteenth, uh, two thousand eight. Yeah, so. Mm. A little specious of an argument, I think. Sure, yeah. It's a little, yeah. It's 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 kind of a stretch. Uh, Adam Brody had joked that Warner Brothers was just afraid of having multiple Batman in play, uh, which I mean, they may have been onto something at the time, but because sure. like, there actually was some like, oh, I maybe not go so far as to say displeasure from the uh, from the Nolan camp, uh, but Christian Bale had been quoted saying like it'd probably be better for them to wait until after Batman Three for them to, to do something sure. like this. Uh, especially since you know, there again, there was no attempt to bring Christian Bale onto this. I don't think he had any interest in doing something I like can't this. Imagine. It wouldn't have. I don't think it would have worked tonally for that Batman to ha- like, be palling around with demigods and shit. It's just, it would have been awful. Yeah, I do remember reading an interview after Batman Begins where Christian Bale was really excited to explore uh, the more day to day life of Batman. He wanted to see Batman poop. He wanted to see Batman poop. No, yeah, I'll never yeah. forget that. <laughs> Uh, he got much less day to day in Dark Knight, which is fine. Yes, uh, honestly, for the best. We we all know Batman poops. We everybody poops. Batman is fine. We know you're a big boy. He's just proud of his toilet. How <laughs> well he's probably a very it's nice a, toilet. It's a very good toilet. Billionaires have to be happy about something, man. I don't know. They all seem miserable and shitty. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, so the Dark Knight, as we all know, massive fucking success. Ninety-four percent audience score and tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes. Very rare to see them that high and equal. Nine point zero out of ten on IMDb. Over a billion dollars earned. Like it, stupid good. If this film had any impact on Justice League Mortal, I think it's likely that it just cemented the popularity of grounded, dark superhero films, which may have just destroyed any slim chance there was of reviving a comic book faithful, bombastic, and frankly kind of goofy and campy approach that Mortal would have been taking. Yeah. But then what? I I assume it shut down and that was that was it? No, yeah, basically. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> anti-climax. Oh, <laughs> No, uh, so there are a lot of little bits and pieces of this movie that kind of like worked their way into other projects. Okay, like if you if you look at future DC projects in particular, Man of Steel, Superman snaps Zod's neck. Everyone got really yeah. fucking pissed off about it because he wouldn't do that. He, a he wouldn't do that, and B that entire fight was just a Dragon Ball Z movie. Like that, yeah. like Man of Steel sucks. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just it's, it's yeah yeah you said it. <laughs> I did. Uh, Justice League, uh, the Whedon cut feature uh, largely features the Flash fanboying over all the other superheroes. Uh, both the Snyder cut and the Whedon cut uh, feature Superman fighting the rest of the Justice League and feature the Flash being the solution to a major problem, particularly his speed being the solution to a major problem. Mm-hmm. While he's not sacrificing himself to save the entire planet, he is using his speed to specifically trigger the resurrection of Superman. Neat. Yeah. I hate that I watched both of those films back to back. 
You're a madman. I'm never doing it again. Uh, also, Slender Cut. Hey, Martian Manhunter's here. Oh, is he? Yeah, they shoehorn him in. It, it has no fucking bearing on anything that happens. He's just there suddenly. Did I watch that? I feel like I watched I feel that. like you did watch that eventually, but, you know, it's fine that you don't remember it. It's not important. Uh, possibly the most pertinent uh, parallel is the appearance of Maxwell Lord as a main villain, which we got in Wonder Woman 1984, which yeah. I did watch for this. <laughs> um, that movie is also terrible. <laughs> just... It, as everything drags on way too long. The pacing is awful. The writing is god awful. The dialogue is. Bleh. Kristen Wiig's a, a kitty cat. Kristen Wiig's a kitty cat. Uh, that felt a little bit like ham fisted. It was fine. <laughs> it was. I think like the character itself was fine. The like realization moment where she points out she wants to be an apex predator and doesn't want to be like anyone else was. Yeah. It's... She like barrels down the camera was, I think, a bit ham fisted. But the entire movie was very ham-fisted. It was. Uh, the fucking lasso is a fucking deus ex machina, which also is a carryover from fucking mortal, because there was a bit of that going on throughout the uh, throughout the script. I don't think that she grappled any fucking lightning bolts in Justice League Mortal, but she definitely did in uh, Wonder Woman 1984. They, they did our boy Pedro Pascal dirty. They did Pedro Pascal dirty. Absolutely. Um it's a bizarre take on the character, and a lot of what he's doing is like kind of hard to track. His motivations yeah. are like shifting wildly. He his performance is like delightfully unhinged, which like fine, I'll take yeah. that. But like the writing and the rationale behind what he's doing is just nonsense. My my viewing of Pedro Pascal was unbeknownst to me an episode of Buffy, but uh, oh neat, yeah, The Mandalorian, and then Wonder Woman. So it was. A little bit of whiplash. So, uh, yeah, for me, it was um, Game of Thrones, mm. then The Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. Mm, yeah. Uh, that table read of that episode of Community that got done during the pandemic, <laughs> yes. and then Wonder Woman, <laughs> 1984. You didn't Though, watch him with Nick Cage? I did not. I have not seen... Oh, uh, it's delightful. I have, yeah, I, I want to see the... Uh, Unbearable. Unbearable weight of massive talent, I think it's called. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I want to see that very badly. I keep seeing that one gif of just like <laughs> yes. Nick Cage looking so frustrated and concerned and Pedro Pascal looking deranged. I'm and pretty sure he's it, fucked up on something. He scene, has to but... be, right? But I want to see that very badly. Um, yeah, yeah, skip Wonder Woman 1982. Yeah, don't don't see Wonder Woman 1984. It's it, it's it's not good. Also, just the whole Steve Trevor coming back in another dude's body and having sex with Wonder Woman, even though the other guy's still kind of in there, and even though he's not driving the body, is just all kinds of fucked up. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of the most heartbreaking things about this production that didn't come to be, though, something I learned about Jay Baruchel is that he has wanted to be a director since he was nine years old. Really? Yeah. Okay. He doesn't actually want to be an actor. Like he's he he's he's fine. Yeah, I think he's a fun actor. He does particularly well in comedies. Yeah. Directing's his passion, and he sure. has gone to direct some stuff in recent years. He has a horror movie that's on Shutter, the title of which I can't remember, and he directed the sequel to Goon, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I, I the whole the horror movie in particular sounds really yeah. interesting. Um, if you don't like hockey, I imagine you have no reason to watch Goon or its sequel. Uh, though Sean William Scott's surprisingly good in those movies, so it's worth checking out, I'd say. Sports are fun, I hear. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like hockey and that's about it. But 
he was so happy to be working for someone the caliber of George Miller in particular. Sure, yeah. Uh, part of the problem with this script, though, is that Maxwell Lord's only in like about 12 scenes altogether. So he was told that he was going to be sent home early. Like, he wasn't going to be around for the entire production. Sure, yeah. He was kind of bummed out about that. So he, he was talking to Miller at some point and was just like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to stick around to see the rest of the production. And Miller was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> no, first off, I want to keep everybody together. I don't want to break up the band. Like right. in, my, in his eyes, like the like the cast and crew were like a repertory crew. So he wanted yeah. he wanted to, he wanted to keep everyone there for the duration as much as as much as possible. Which I love. I don't know how they would, maybe that's why the budget was so big. Yeah. I mean, if you just get like a bunch of Jamie Lee Curtises, they'll just do it. Yeah, yeah. Right. She just like she doesn't she doesn't she famously just like doesn't leave set doesn't uh, doesn't uh, go to her trailer doesn't fuck off anywhere. She just watches everyone else act the entire time. Her reasoning being that that that's how you get sucked into a production. Yeah, um, absolutely. And having had, I've done that before where I, I'm like, I'm not needed on set today. I show up and I'm just a pair of hands. Yeah. It's absolutely right. You're going to get jobs. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it makes a world of sense. But the other reason he didn't want him to leave is because he wanted Baruchel to shadow him. Cool. Specifically, really good for him. he specifically told him, "I want you to spend the rest of the, uh, the rest of this production shadowing me, so you see what this kind of production is like." And so Baruchel thinks, "Like, oh man, my agents are going to be so upset with me if I'm not working, if I'm not acting." Yeah. But he called his agents, and they're like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Do whatever the fuck you yeah. have to do to stay in Australia. Pay for it yourself if you have to. This is huge. It's George fucking Miller. Yeah. Please learn from him." And he didn't get the shot. God, that sucks. You can, that is when awful. he talks about it, it's like the the pain, the heartbreak in that is like palpable. God. It's so like I feel so bad for him. It's like I've always enjoyed his work, but like to yeah. see, if he'd had that opportunity to shadow George Miller on this set and like see what it's like to carry this kind of production through, I would have been wild. It's too bad he didn't get to do that on a, a later George Miller production. Yeah. Um, although I I don't think he would have had fun on Fury Road. Maybe, maybe not. Interesting. I mean, interesting. Probably interest- learned a lot. That, you know, fair. Um, that, that's a, I think that's a fair way to describe it. Changed him as a man, but. Yeah. Interesting. Speaking of that. Great. So, I mean, I'm not going to go super in-depth to Fury Road right now. If you've seen Mad Max Fury Road, you know it's a fucking masterpiece. Look yeah. at it. So, he got to he got to put his work back into focusing on this because I don't think he had another project between Mortal and this, if I'm not mistaken. I don't believe so. So he was able to actually bring back the vast majority of the same crew to produce that film, and he included roles for both uh, Hugh, uh, Hugh Keysburn, who, as we mentioned, is a Morton right. Joe, and Megan Gale actually was brought in brought in for this as well. She played a character na- uh, named the Valkyrie. I'll have to look it up later. The biggest lesson that Miller took from Justice League Mortal, though, is that it does not serve a production to reveal too much about it too early. Hmm. Henceforth, Fury Road and his most recent film, 3,000 Years of Longing, Miller limited how much he actually revealed about the productions outside of basic casting and trailers. Hmm. As his experience with Mortal shows, it can all just go away regardless of how much concept art you share. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I feel like there's been a general movement more towards that, especially with high profile movies like J.J. Abrams won't let yeah. like, a, like a fart come out before yeah. the movie. Which honestly, maybe he in particular should. He, he could let a fart. Out. He could probably let a fart out here and there, and like maybe 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 gauge some 
some uh, some response to that fart. Oh, he did Happy Feet too. Oh, right, I forgot yeah. about Happy Feet too. He did do Happy Feet too. I even talked about Happy Feet too. Jesus. So that's Justice League Mortal, a, a bizarre, campy, goofy, comic book accurate superhero romp that will never see the light of day. It. I don't think it would have done well at the time. No, I don't think so either. Especially, I mean, especially with how hard the Dark Knight like floored everybody. Yeah. Like for that to compete with, or, or for for Justice League Mortal to have to compete with that in the same year, I, I don't think it would have worked. I, I also don't think that audiences wanted that kind of campiness out of their their superheroes at the time. Yeah, I mean, would you describe Iron Man as campy? Um, I would say it has the same kind of like summer fun vibe that you you would expect out of a summer, but not campy. No, I think that's a fair assessment, and I think that's probably part of the reason why it was such a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I the the way you describe the script to me sounds more in line with like a late '90s, early 2000s kind of action superhero. I movie. do get a kind of like. Jessica Alba, Fantastic, Fantastic Four E yeah. kind of vibe from the from the flow of this script. Yeah, but you know, alas, is lost to the sands of time. Yeah, well, even just thinking about the James Bond films that were coming out around that that time, Casino Royale ha- carried over some of the goofiness of the Brosnan films, almost like it it needed that as a kind of like a runway. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with Batman Begins, where it had a little bit of the campy comic bookiness, even if it's just in the dialogue. Um, before it went into Quantum of Solace was dark as hell. No, dark, dark Knight was dark as hell. Dark Knight was dark as hell. I think that was, I may be reading too much into it, but I feel like that's where we were as a country at that time. Yeah, that's um, fair. And then, I mean, even just looking at the costumes, if Superman had showed up in that doopy little diaper, um, oh, there's no way that that would have – it's it's goofier than the one we got in Superman Returns. It is goofier than the one we got in Superman Returns. Oh, actually, speaking of Superman, I almost forgot in terms of like things carrying over into more recent projects. Mm-hmm. DJ Katrona has reappeared in a DC property. He's in the Shazam movies. Which one was he? I, I don't know. I haven't okay. seen either of them. I just know he's in there. The first one was fine. Okay. Nicole, good for him. Yeah. I guess. I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was uh, – you sure did your research. Uh, you know, I was worried that this was going to be like a, a lot of nothing. Because I was, yeah, I, when I, I, was, I thought it was. When I was first digging into it, it, se- it seemed like pretty cut and dry. Like, oh, the writer strike killed this movie. Mm-hmm. But then I kept digging. I kept finding little, little little tidbits, a little bit more here and there. So, you know, I knew I wanted to dig more into the writer strike itself. But then, like finding those details about the production, finding those interviews with Army Hammer and Jay Baruchel uh, and 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 Adam Brody, he- uh, hearing George Miller yeah. talk about the uh, the issues with the Australian government and the tax rebates and all that it was, you know, it, it's more f- more fertile ground than I was expecting. I wonder where the Australian film industry is right now. Like if they kind of saw the error of their ways, you know, that would have been a good thing to follow up on. And I, I did not look into it. I mean, I'm assuming he shot Fury Road there. He definitely shot F- Fury Road there. I'm like, yeah, because he, because again, the vast majority, if not the entire production crew was Australian for that. But if I'm basing um, tax breaks 
purely on Pittsburgh, that shit can change in like a couple of years. It can. Yeah. Um, our, I mean, the Pennsylvania film tax credit is just like evaporated. Yeah. Ev- essentially. There was a minute where there was a bunch of films being made in Pittsburgh and then they didn't re-up or whatever uh, and, and nothing. And the, yeah. the if, if, I, if I remember correctly, uh, the state legislature had been taken over by a Republican, a Republican majority, and they shot it. They shot down renewing it. If I remember correctly, pretty, I think I'm, I think you're. I'm correct. pretty sure I remember correctly. Yeah, it's fine. We didn't need those jobs. Yeah, right. Um. Cool. Hey, you di- you did it. Uh, you you bring up an interesting point there, though, about about needing those jobs. Yeah. So. The 2007-2008 writer's strike lasted for 100 days. Okay. It cost the it cost the LA economy about 3 billion dollars. Shit. Guess what expires in May? I'm going to go vomit. Um would it be the contracts that they it, signed in it, it 2008? Would. Well, no, those have expired. They're like they go in like oh, okay, three, okay. they go in like three years in, in, uh, increments. Okay, uh, so the most recent ones. the most recent ones are expiring because the last one they signed was like in the middle of COVID or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's there's some concern. You may notice on various social media platforms that. Uh, some writers, if you follow them, may have changed their avatars to say, I support or I stand with the WGA. Uh-huh. And that's because the WGA is yet again fighting with the AMPTP for proper representation and residuals, particularly when it comes to streaming and particularly whenever it comes to guaranteeing jobs in in, uh, in TV shows. I don't know if you've noticed, but the number of original series yeah. that have been in development and the lengths of those series have been dwindling. Is that because they're preparing? Uh, uh, the the big companies are preparing for a strike. Or no, I think that's no. That's just the trends in the industry. Like oh, okay. just the like fewer shows are being greenlit. Fewer episodes are being allocated per season. Mm-hmm. Fewer writers are being brought are being put into those writers' rooms for those episodes, and thus the compensation that they're getting is far from what it should be, mm-hmm. based on based on the work that they typically do and they actually do. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! You know what's another wrinkle, though? What's that? The contracts for the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild also expire this summer great so there may there may be a very fraught entertainment year ahead of us i remember the first year of the pandemic mm-hmm. when a bunch of movies were either being held back or or paused during production or thrown onto like amazon or whatever for 20 right. bucks yeah that that was an awful year for film is bad I wonder if that's going to be... 2023, 2024? Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean... Who knows? It depends on how long they actually they actually hold out on these things. Yeah. Or hey, negotiations could just go well, and, and then we could avert all of this yeah. t- altogether. That would be nice. Yeah. It's almost like the writing on a story is really important. Uh, honestly, yeah. We I might be a little biased. I mean, same. But so would. 
a lot of people, considering you know what it feels like to watch something that's very poorly written. <laughs> it's almost like our entire podcast is based around that. Huh, how about um, that? Oh boy! Hey, you, you, that was that. Is that? Are you done hurting me? Uh, yeah, I'm done okay. hurting you. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> right. yeah. Sorry, I don't mean I don't mean to hurt you with no. these things, but like, there's no getting around the fact that like, hey, we happen to be covering this at a surprisingly timely yeah. moment. I didn't even realize until oh, I was is doing that the my. Thing you were telling me about? I, yeah, ah, I didn't re- even realize it until today. I messaged Jack and said, "Hey, I have something I have to tack on to the end of the episode. God damn You'll it. see." Just. Yeah, it's very relevant. Uh, it's um, extremely relevant. I didn't realize it was going to be that relevant. So thanks, Raphael, for recommending that we cover this. Yeah, I when he recommended it, I, I much like you thought there wasn't a whole lot to cover. Um, Turns out. No, it was pretty interesting. It's, it's sad. I think it still would have bombed. But I, I do think it still would have bombed. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that we can't count a certain uh, army hammer among our Batman. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of a relief, isn't it? Yeah. There's I I'm a huge Batman fan, so there's all these posters of like all of the live action Batman and I'm <laughs> glad I don't have to see him on that. It was just one of those things where it's like you know, thank you for being a great Batman, not you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not you. Not you. No, that distinction goes to George Clooney. He's yeah. fully aware he, of it. You know, no, you know what? I will I will thank him for owning how yeah. bad that yeah. was. He knows. He knows what he did. <laughs> God, what a trip it would be if he popped up in the multiverse somewhere. Oh my God. I would lose my so... shit. He gets the fucking redemption moment. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I don't even know what that would look like. Hey, you know what? Give it give it to Alicia. Uh, well, you know, yeah. If you're gonna give anyone a redemption moment in those fucking movies, yeah. Alicia Silverstone, absolutely give it to her. She got treated like absolute yeah. fucking dog shit. Now I'm just thinking about the fact that Ahmed Best is a Jedi, and it makes me so happy. Yeah, just, oh, oh. I, I haven't gotten to that episode. Yet. I haven't yet excited. either. But like, you know, it's everywhere. Everyone fucking knows. Yeah. It's just he again. He got treated like such bullshit for just being Jar Jar Banks. Yeah, just <laughs> we we had just talked about jake lloyd in yep. our Razzie episode mm-hmm. um i hope he's doing okay i hope he's doing okay i would love to see him get his redemption moment 100 percent, yes i would i would love that mostly i just want him to be okay yeah so. yeah uh mind if i self selfishly plug my upcoming i, I was hoping you would yes please okay. please plug this this is very cool um so uh i've been working on this comic book called the eyes of the needle yes um Short one-issue comic, uh, me and, and Benjamin Coons, uh, who draw drew it, uh, frankly, did the majority of the work. <laughs> <laughs> You've shown me some of this. It, yeah. He, he it does amazing artwork. Like, it's, it's really cool. It's gorgeous. Really, really cool. It's, it's, I was already excited based upon the art he showed me, uh, but he did, he did like a different style than he usually does oh. uh, for this comic book. Um, it's a kind of cosmic horror set around a prison. Um, which in in universe is nicknamed the needle uh for its shape Neat. um so uh we did a small printing um or we're giving away this first printing of it oh wow uh, this first run and then it will be released online uh again for free uh and then i think if we do if we are lucky enough to get to a second printing, we'll probably charge a little bit for that because it's you know it's a little pricey. Yeah, it's it's it costs a good bit to get that stuff made. Yeah, that's and we are not a massive publisher. No, so no. Uh, it, I would love it for everyone to check it out. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Where, where where can people find? When it is eventually online, uh, it will be on... Right now, it's going to be only on Global Comics with an X. Okay. Uh, I'm probably going to load it on, onto some other ones. But uh, yeah, for now, that's, that's where it'll be. Hell well, yeah. And if you do want a hard copy of it, um, you can email me at... Uh, the derazzled email because I can't remember mine right now. I think yours is what jack.creative at gmail.com if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. I think that's that's one of them that I know you use for stuff. I have like eight emails. That's true. Uh, I mean, yeah, derazzledpodcast at gmail.com. You can always send a message for that. Put uh, Jack's comic in the subject line and we'll know what you're talking about. Jackcolbertson.creative at gmail.com. That's it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Hell yeah. So yeah, check that out. Uh, I can't. W- I can't wait to see the finished product. Me too. Uh, and thank you for uh, checking us out here tonight and joining us for this uh, this this little bit of devel- uh, development hell here. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please again rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Good Pods. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please. Help us get into more people's ears. We want to expand our listenership so badly. Yeah, a little tongue in there. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> if you want to follow us on social media, you can do that on Facebook at Derazzled Podcast, on TikTok and Instagram at Derazzled underscore podcast, and Twitter at Derazzled Pod. Uh, and as we mentioned, you can email us at derazzledpodcast at gmail.com if you want information about Jack's comic, or if you want to suggest stuff that you want to see covered in future seasons. So... Yeah. yeah, please and thank you. Great, and uh, come back next time because uh, you know we're we're, sure we're always sure to to razzle dazzle, dazzle yeah. yeah.